Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for October 9th, 2016. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, When Duty Gives Way to Love. So grateful for a wonderful staff and uh, wonderful leaders to work with. And I was just thinking about the four wonderful sermons I've already heard today for Anne's beautiful prayer. Thank you for that so much. And for Dan's setup to our confession, for Amy's children's sermon there, and for a little Mendelssohn sermon that the choir just did. So I'm grateful for all of that and hope it all works together for you as it has for me this morning. And to round out with a handful of sermons, here's number five. We've played almost no video games in our house. A few years ago, Santa Claus did bring a Wii at Christmas time, and the boys enjoyed a season of bowling and tennis and Guitar Hero, but that's really about it. And the new wore off of those games pretty quickly. Now, don't get me wrong, our boys weren't spending the rest of their time reading the classics studying New Testament commentaries and memorizing Wikipedia. They can quote whole episodes of The Office and Family Guy for you. And they have binged watch Lost and Breaking Bad and Prison Break and God only knows what else. So we may have some psychiatric bills in our future, but I can't say we've spent very much money on video games. Maybe that dearth of experience figured prominently into Jackson's psyche when he walked into a college freshman dorm room last year and his new roommate had already set up a big screen TV and his Xbox and he had the newest edition of Call of Duty playing. Well, I'm proud to say Jackson had a great GPA that first semester at Presbyterian College, but I don't know how. Every time we called him, he was sitting in front of that screen, controller in hand, shooting up the landscape. Call of Duty is a no-holds-barred assault on, well, everything, as far as I can tell. Everything and anything that comes at you on that screen, if it threatens, or if it moves, or if it just looks like it would be fun to totally obliterate with with an assault rifle, it's your duty. This past week, as I blogged about the recent unrest in Charlotte, I had an opportunity to use that word to purposely leave an uncomfortable, open-ended question in the air. In the death of Keith Scott, regarding the action of a uniformed officer of law enforcement, what was his duty? This is a hard question to ask, and there is a barb on it. I understand that. And one need not be anti-police, I am not. One need not be anti-police to ask the question. With dozens and dozens of African-American males dying at the hand of those whose unbearably difficult job it is to protect and defend, we need to ask. It is our duty to ask, is the use of deadly force so often their call of duty. When duty is born is a discipline born of worthy conviction 
It is admirable and inspiring. Duty is life-changing and can be life-saving as well. But duty is just a baseline. It is the least common denominator. Duty is doing what I have to do because the rules say I have to do it. I'm just doing my duty. Of course, we all make voluntary commitments, agreeing to someone's rules, and it is the duty-bound lives, it is those duty-bound lives that make for an ordered society. Duty begins to allow room for one another. Begins to allow room. But duty is also limited and can be so limiting I'm just doing my duty. Do you hear the least common denominator? I'm just going to do what I have to do, only my duty. And do you hear what might be the evasion of greater responsibility? I'm doing my duty and no more. So self-conscripted duty a self-imposed obligation to rules and order and respect is a wonderful beginning. But there is no grace in duty. There's no extra mile to walk in duty. There's no other cheek to turn in duty. There is no doing unto others as you would have them do unto you in duty. Duty is a minimum requirement, and that will never be enough to bring in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And that tall order is the duty of any who dare to, to call the name of Christ. We who are called by the image of a cross on a hill are called beyond duty. We are called also to sacrificial, unconditional love. I think we cannot fathom the scourge of leprosy. Amy said they talked about it in their Sunday school class. Our men talked about it this morning. Interesting the disease of leprosy was its own sentence of death in first century Israel, and in the cruelty of ignorance and religious superstition, all manner of skin conditions could be labeled leprosy. I have read that leprosy proper doesn't actually exist in Israel. The conditions are not right for leprosy as a medical condition. Psoriasis or vitiligo, that condition causing patches of skin to lose their pigment, any condition that showed irregularity of skin, color, or consistency could be labeled leprosy. And once labeled, well, the condition itself was just the beginning. Lepers were put outside of society for fear of contagion. They were torn from their families never to return. They were stripped of their status, regardless of your rank or position in society. Leprosy meant you were alienated from all. Lepers were robbed of any human dignity. 
They were forced to band together, to roam the hillsides, scavenging for food and shelter. And if any healthy person came near, you were required to call out, unclean, I'm unclean, stay away. Adding insult to injury, you had to shout your own humiliation, reminding yourself just again and again that you were really worse than a nobody. You were a frightening pariah, a danger to society. You were one living under the punishment of God and the banishment of your peer. I can't imagine. In her one-page commentary on this text, a writer named Debbie Thomas reflects on a trip to India, which was her parents' native land. She shares this experience. I was accustomed to seeing beggars in India, exhausted women and two thin babies on their hips, men who were blind or lame, pot-bellied children. I spent my days digging in my mother's purse, handing out every coin she would allow me. But my little brother pointed to two figures sitting hunched in a corner in a train station one day, and these two figures were different. I didn't want to approach them. Their faces were distorted, eaten. Their fingers were half missing, and their feet were scary, mottled stumps. They're sick, my father answered. They have leprosy. The train station was swarming with travelers, vendors, and beggars, but what struck me about those figures huddling in the shadows was how alone they were. It was otherworldly, profound and impenetrable in a way I could barely comprehend. It was as if some invisible barrier, solid as granite, separated them from the rest of humanity, rendering them wholly untouchable. What frightened me much more than their disease was their isolation, their not belonging. Now in the way that I have been taught to hear the story of today's text, the healing of these ten lepers, Jesus' words, it seems to me, allows us to heap onto these most pitiful outcasts of our society even more judgment and pain. Not only were they unclean, well, they were also ingrates. Maybe these nine who couldn't even come back and tell Jesus, thank you, well, maybe they had always had a problem with self-centeredness. Maybe they had always lived ungrateful lives. Maybe God had punished them with leprosy to teach them a lesson. Oh, I'm being dramatic but I think you know it's true. We love to pile on, don't we? Guilt on guilt, insult on injury. You know, all those rioters in Charlotte last week, they're, they're the problem to begin with, right? If they just had a decent job, they wouldn't have time to go downtown and cause so much trouble in the streets. Why can't they just be grateful for what they have? And Keith Scott, you know, if he'd done just exactly what the police had asked him to do, he wouldn't be dead. It's his own fault, right? We read Jesus' story, and we give ourselves justification for that kind of thinking. Sorry, leper. 
rotten outcast, couldn't even be grateful enough to turn around and say thanks. Now on the surface, that is what the story says. But can we think a little more deeply about this story? Let me ask you, if you had been diagnosed as a leper and sentenced to a lifetime, there was no cure. This was a lifetime sentence of segregation and oppression. And if you had known for years, if all you had known was the hate-filled judgment of fear in the eyes of those who should be friends and neighbors, if you had not touched your wife since the day the priest pronounced you unclean and banished you to the margins, if you hadn't known the smell of her breath, the touch of her cheek on yours, if you had not been able to hold your growing children in your arms, to bear hug your grown-up sons, to toss your grandchildren in the air and feel their squeeze around the grandfather's neck, if you had not had so much as a handshake, the common courtesy of someone looking you in the eye and the very most basic of human contact, if you were not respected as a member of your community, if you were outcast, what would you do if in an instant someone gave you all of that back. I think at least nine out of ten of us would probably sprint home never looking back. I think we would run as fast as we could possibly run, hearts pounding out of our chest to find someone we knew, someone who could celebrate with us, maybe anyone who would give us a high five. Touch me, please. Shake my hand, hug my neck, kiss my lips. Don't you think that's exactly what you would do? Maybe the kind of exuberant joy that makes you forget that the world is actually spinning around you is really the greatest kind of thank you that there is. On Christmas morning, when the children open up their toys and their eyes delight in playful awe, who amongst us, except the most self-centered giver, who among us could be disappointed that the children don't stop and write a thank you note before they tear into the box? Isn't that the greatest thanks in the world, seeing their joy? Now Jesus does comment on the nine. But his comment, I think, is really not so much on their lack of gratitude as it is a way to emphasize the act of thankfulness from the one. We just seem to love to cast judgment. I think Jesus was trying to comment on a spirit of gratitude more than a spirit of condemnation. And I know I'm splitting hairs here. But when people's lives are at stake, that's what we need to do. Because of the setting, I think it's likely that the nine other lepers were Jewish. Isn't that how the story goes? It's set up. Only this one, a Samaritan, has given thanks. So the other nine, it's likely, are in their home country perhaps even in their hometown 
when Jesus heals them. Mama is much closer. The wife and the children, well, they could practically feel the warmth of welcome while this Samaritan probably had a two- or three-day journey ahead of him. But all that speculation really misses the point. It seems to me that the point is that Jesus reaches out to make this healing well beyond the bounds of duty. His compassion is the center of the action. It is the reason for any show of gratitude to begin with, and we must not forget that. Jesus touches the lepers, in this case not literally, but he touches these lepers and heals them all. He does not ask them for a passport or a diploma or a baptismal certificate. He just heals them all. Jesus is not so much castigating the nine as he is letting their actions point out the commendable example, the praiseworthy distinction of the one. And who is the one? Once again, I wonder if this is not the case always with Jesus. I'd have to go back and survey the New Testament. Is it not always the case with Jesus that the person he commends as an exemplar of faith is one who is outside the expected norms? The wrong race or the wrong sex or the wrong nationality, or the wrong religion. The person who is the outsider, the one who is least likely to be commended by normal standards, becomes the example. Jesus is announcing a social revolution in his message. Who are the insiders? And who are the outsiders? And Jesus challenges the very notion. The Samaritans could not have been any more despised, reviled by many in first century Israel than blacks were in the pre-civil rights South, no more than some Muslims are in our society today. And when people understand that Jesus makes room for all of us, well, that message is no less radical, disturbing, revolutionary today than it has always been. But you know, it seems to me when you represent the status quo, it's just a lot easier to let Jesus affirm that status quo for you, to think that the real message is a call for unconditional acceptance and love might just be too challenging. Maybe we ought to just say that Jesus' message was, people, can't you just be grateful? Toe the line, get in line, things ought to be as they are. It's just so much better than it's ever been. Just be calm and quiet down and keep the peace and say thank you very much. That's what Jesus says, isn't it? Just be grateful. I think that is not at all 
what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying everyone is welcome in God's kingdom, even the hated Samaritan, even the Syrian refugee, even the Black Lives Matter protesters in downtown Charlotte, even the Muslim, even the transgender student. All are welcome in God's great kingdom. But it will take more than a call of duty to recognize that. If you want to call yourself a Christian, it is your duty to find the inclusion of an unconditional love in your heart, just as Jesus showed us by example. And when you do... I believe the world will be grateful for the lesson you have learned, grateful, and so will you. May it be so. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.